0: Just want to give you a little disclaimer before we start today's episode. If you have any little ones around, make sure you're listening with headphones. We'll be talking about adult content and baby loss during this episode. And we'll put a timestamp in the description if you want to fast forward where the baby loss bit is. Welcome to our summer series. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Keep It Up With The Windsors. My name is Michelle. And I'm Rachel. And welcome Royal Community to our summer series. This is the first episode you're going to get in our summer series and it's all about Marie Antoinette.
1: Yay! The first two episodes of Marie Antoinette, which I'm a bit nervous bring you Royal Community because I've been talking about this for a while now (laughs) and I've done a lot of research into this and this has taken me I'm not even joking. It's probably taken me about a week to get all these notes together. Yeah. So I really hope that you enjoy these episodes that we've got coming out for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about that first before we move into the episode today. You're going to have a series of four podcast episodes coming up week after week over the next month. We're so excited to bring you these. And because the Royals are on holiday, we thought this is the perfect time. So today you're going to be getting Marie Antoinette part one. Next week you're going to get Marie Antoinette part two. The following week you're going to get our Royal Fashion Special, which we're so excited to bring you. So excited about that one. Yeah. (laughs) And then episode four, in the series. We'll actually be talking about the Queen. It'll be a year since she's passed away. We want to do a little special just talking about how this year has been without her and how the future looks moving forward with the reign of King Charles III. So we hope you love this series as much as we have loved bringing it to you. But the reason why we wanted to start with a Marie Antoinette special is because, right, you've kind of got like a fangirl feeling about Marie Antoinette, haven't you? Royal community, I believe there's nothing that Rachel doesn't know about Marie Antoinette. <laughs> we went to the Wallace collection. There was just loads of like pieces of furniture, wasn't it? From the yeah. Marie Antoinette collection. And Rachel, I've never seen her eyes like light up so much in all my (laughs) life. Like She was just in her element. And I said, you have to bring this passion to the podcast. Now, I know Royal Community, our podcast is about the British royal family, but we also love history here. And we also love talking about historical figures. And this is the time we're bringing you this episode.
1: Why do you love her so much? So my passion started with watching the film Marie Antoinette by Sophia Coppola. I just fell in love with the aesthetics of that film. It just caught my eye. It's like a candy shop. It's a fashion lover's film. It's everything that you could want for me in a film anyway. It's just so aesthetically pleasing. Is that the one with Kristen Dunst? Yes, Kristen Dunst plays Marie Antoinette. Yes. And so when that film ended, I was wondering what actually happened to her? Because if you've ever seen the film, it's Louis and Marie Antoinette driving away in the carriage and you get a lasting shot of a sigh. And she says at the end of the film, I'm just saying goodbye. And I was like, oh, okay. so what happened after? I didn't know anything about her. And then I started researching for myself. And I've read so many books about her and watched so many documentaries about her life. And I just feel like everything that's out there, it's always kind of like the same information. And I'm hoping today you're going to hear something a little bit more interesting. Maybe if you know a bit about Marie Antoinette and you listen to this podcast, you think, oh, actually, I didn't know that. Because I know nothing, I have watched half of that film. I don't (laughs) know why I haven't watched the other half of it.
0: I agree with you, masterpiece. (laughs) What's going on with me? I really need to get back into it.
1: But that style is so you, isn't it, Rach? Yeah, absolutely. And since watching that film, my dream was to visit Versailles. And in 2019, I visited with my mum, and let me tell you, it was just absolutely spectacular. And only recently they've reopened more rooms that was used by Marie Antoinette. So I'm really excited to go back, hopefully sometime soon possibly this year, possibly (coughs) around my birthday, (laughs) (laughs) Yay! and just see what they've brought to life, because these rooms are absolutely spectacular in person to see. When you see footage of it and photos, it just doesn't do the building justice. And the Royal community, if you've listened to the podcast for a long time, Michelle and I, we love, like Chelle said, we love history, but we also love going to palaces, looking at architecture, looking at paintings, looking at furniture, because it really brings the place to life and you can immerse yourself and see yourself and picture what these people's days were like and how they lived in these places. And I feel like I'm coming to this podcast as a, I want to say
0: Marie Antoinette Virgin, because I know (laughs) little bits, I even know the rumours, like the whole let the meat cake thing, which I'm sure we're going to debunk at some point, right during yes. this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I know what you've told me as we've walked around certain places, right? So I'm super excited. So, royal community, if you don't know anything about Marie Antoinette, this is the podcast for you because Rachel is going to help us
1: learn <laughs> lots about Marie Antoinette. So, where should we start? Okay, so let's start at the beginning, shall we? So Maria Antonia Josepha Johanna was born on the 2nd of November, 1755, at the Hofburg Palace in Vienna, Austria. She was the youngest daughter of Empress Maria Theresa and Francis I, Holy Roman Emperor, and was the 15th of 16 children. What? Yes. (laughs) oh wow 16 children (laughs) to be
0: honest i'm the middle child and i always laugh like the middle kid doesn't get the attention but
1: how can you get attention when you're the 15th out of 16 her mother became the first female hereditary ruler of the habsburg's domains and was sovereign of countries including austria Hungary and Croatia. Although she was expected to give power over to her co-rulers, which was her husband and later her eldest son, Emperor Joseph II, she ruled as an autocratic sovereign with the guidance of her advisors. So she had a birthright as queen, but because back in those days, you couldn't really have a queen, she had to co-rule with a male counterpart. It reminds me of how far we've come. Right, exactly. (laughs) And actually, wasn't it only in
0: 2015 or something when the Queen changed our rule for Princess Charlotte? Yes. I'm like, that's still happening now. Like, I'm so glad it's changed. But come on,
1: this needed to have happened faster. At this time, she's not known as Marie Antoinette. Her nickname is Antoine. That's what the family call her. Okay. And so she has lots of sisters. And what you find is a lot of them are called Maria or Marie. (laughs) And then it will have maria carolina marilia amelia yeah it's like in the 80s when all the kids like the middle names are louise and marie so her childhood was a happy one she was sledging them into she loved music and she was competent in the harpsichord and one is still actually displayed at the petite train on in versailles this is one that she actually played and she met mozart when he performed for the royal family in 1762 wow what a performance that must have been She excelled at dancing and would perform with her brothers and sisters. And the Austrian court would live between the Hofburg and the Schoenberg palaces in Vienna.
0: I've never been to Austria, but every picture I've seen, every video I've seen is so amazingly
1: picturesque. So to grow up in that environment must have been incredible. And although she was part of a royal court, it wasn't as structured as what the court at Versailles was. Mm -hmm. So it was very different. Yes, she was an archduchess. She was a princess of Austria, But she didn't have the confides of what she would later experience when she went to Versailles. Austria had long been involved in what is known as the Seven Years' War. And after being deceived by Frederick II of Prussia, who had formed a treaty with Britain without informing his French ally, Louis XV, was being swayed to form an alliance with Austria. And this is where we see the power plays come in, because France at this time is one of the big power players in Europe. And so they're all fighting to... Secure their own domains and keep hold of the countries and the lands that they already have. And so, to form an alliance, the easiest way to do this was to marry off children into other European royal families. Her sister, Josepha, was due to marry the King of Naples, but caught smallpox and died. And Maria Theresa still had daughters to marry off Amelia and Charlotte, and also the young. Antoine. Maria Theresa had been seeking an alliance with France in 1755 and in 1756 received a favourable response. King Louis XV of France was concerned about maintaining power in Europe. And so the Austrian alliance would help to achieve this. This marriage, however, was not supported by the public, who still saw Austria as the enemy from the Seven Years' War. And the Duke de Cassel, who was a foreign secretary at the time, supported the marriage, but it was opposed by Louis's parents. And one of Marie Antoinette's Sisters, Charlotte, was considered a bride for Louis, uh, as she was a good daughter of Louis XV. How come that didn't happen then? Because the King of Naples decided to marry her. But though so Louis's parents' deaths in 1765 and 1767 enabled the Duke de Cassel to convince King Louis that the marriage should go ahead, and in July 1769, the official marriage proposal was taken to Vienna. Maria Antonia was only 13 years old. Oh, it just blows my mind. Child bride. Wow. 13. That's shocking, actually. Maybe obviously not for that time. You know, it was power play. These weren't marriages of love. They were marriages of political alliance. Yeah. So in order for Maria Antonia to be able to become the Dauphine of France, some things had to change. So she had a French glow up. She had what was known as the 18th century version of braces. Honestly, it must have been so painful it was this contraption like you imagine braces these days these were 10 times worse yeah Versailles was seen as elegant and the height of fashion and you couldn't just send anybody to become the queen of France they had to have the right look yeah it reminds me of the
0: hunger game shall we have the capital where everyone has to look <laughs> a certain way you mentioned the
1: Dauphine of France is that what, how you say it Dauphine yeah So what does that mean, Dauphine of France? The Dauphine of France is a princess, the princess of France. So she would later become the queen of France. So she also had what is known as a Habsburg lip, which is a projecting lower lip, which gave the appearance of a pout, which wasn't seen fashionable at the time. So portraits of her from this time were front facing and not from the side profile. She would have been completely sorted in our time, wouldn't she, with the <laughs> yeah. big, massive pout? At 13, a tutor, Ab de Vermond, was sent to improve her French and to teach her French history. He exclaimed, She is more intelligent than has been generally supposed. Oh, lover. <laughs> well, he had to keep sending reports back to the site of how she was improving. And after the French glow up, he said of her, One can find faces that are more regularly beautiful.
0: Oh, it sounds like she's gone through a princess diaries transformation, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) He also reports back to King Louis that she is sweet and kind. Which you want in a future queen, right? Yes, definitely. The official portrait was commissioned and sent to Versailles in 1769. On the 16th of April, 1770, the official marriage proposal is sent to Vienna, accompanied by a medallion containing the portrait of Louis-Auguste, the Dauphin of France, who becomes her future husband. So hang on, she, she wouldn't have known what he looked like. In, unless no. you had this, no.
0: I think we just take it for granted these days that you literally have at your disposal cameras on your phones, social media. It was so hard to know what somebody
1: looked like until you actually met in person. Exactly, exactly. And they had no idea what each other looked like apart from these portraits. So, if Louis the Sixteenth didn't like what
0: she looked like, would that have mattered? No, not That's- at all. <laughs>
1: He just had to get on with it. He just had to accept her. Because again, it's not a love match, is it? It's a political alliance. Did she actually think he was dashing? She apparently, when she saw his portrait, he wasn't that bad looking, but he wasn't considered beautiful compared to one of his brothers, the Comte d'Artois. He was very fashionable, very dashing. Mm. And Louis wasn't that. So that's on the 16th of April that the official marriage proposal was sent. On the 17th of April, she renounces her rights of Austria. And on the 19th of April, she has a proxy marriage to her brother. So there's actually a church ceremony where her brother is a stand-in for Louis. And I'm, so I'm this, really confused. Why is this happening? <laughs> this means that none of the parties come back out. The official oh. marriage is signed. So they are officially married, even though they've never met before. Oh, I see. But there are big celebrations throughout Vienna, throughout Austria, when this happens. Okay, so it is like a marriage, but obviously nothing actually happens because it's her brother. Could you
0: imagine if this was now, like being televised <laughs> with a George giving Charlotte away or something be weird on television, it would just
1: wouldn't it? So bizarre. And on the twenty first of April, she departs Vienna for Versailles. And this is the last time that she will ever see Austria. Oh my gosh, Rachel, this is heartbreaking. Her mother gives her this long list of instructions. She tells her to read every month a list of obligations, including attending mass and reading spiritual texts. And she also offers practical advice, saying, do not be curious. And... Answer everyone with grace and dignity. Aww. And what you'll find is a lot of the information we know about Marie Antoinette is from letters that still survive to this day between her mother yeah. and herself. Do you know what a mum's done, Rach? Is she's written the first ever marriage for
0: dummies? I'm already answering that. These are the rules. These are like
1: your cheat sheets. It's heartbreaking because as she's leaving, she looks back in the carriage for the last time. That's the last time she will ever see her mother. Oh no! As well. So although she writes to her she will never, ever see her mother again and she's 14 years old. Oh. This is heartbreaking, right? Heartbreaking. She will see hardly any of her brothers and sisters ever again.
0: Rach, when we started this episode, I didn't think <laughs> I was going to have tears in my
1: eyes. <laughs> Wait till you get to the end. <laughs> oh, don't. we you're on a journey. <laughs> you're on a journey. <laughs> on May the 7th, Maria Antonia arrives in Strasbourg with the marriage being celebrated in the middle of the Rhine. A wisdom pavilion is erected, in a room where the handover of the Archduchess would be placed she sat on a chair that had two legs on the french side and two on the other side of the border so she's not quite the dauphine of france yet yeah so that's very symbolic isn't it yes exactly and when one of the officials goes to speak to her she instructs him to no longer speak in german from now on i want to hear no other language than french so that's her mindset, isn't it? Actually switching over yeah. to the French way. So the journey to France takes two and a half weeks. The procession consisted of over 132 dignitaries, doctors, hairdressers, servants, cooks, bakers, blacksmith, and a dressmaker, 57 coaches, and 376 horses. Sounds like me going on a cruise. <laughs> <laughs> But can you imagine, this is just for one person and you've got all these people attending. She
0: has to literally take the whole of her life with her. Yeah. This is just,
1: it's blowing my mind. How many? 57 coaches. 57 coaches. Wow. And can you think, this is all for a 14-year-old girl? Yeah. She's not just any old -old. (laughs) 14-year-old. Yeah. She's the future queen of France. Yeah. So once she arrives in the place where she's supposed to meet louis for the first time before that happens she is stripped of all of her clothes nothing pertaining from the old court and she dons french made clothes mm. she says goodbye to her ladies who accompanied her on the journey and is made to give up her companion her dog mops oh don't oh yeah. no! no this is like homeward bound what's going on don't worry he's negotiated and he's later returned to her at the side yeah we got that come back. (laughs) I don't want to reference the Sophia Coppola film too much, but if you have ever seen this film, this is very accurate to how everything took place. So when she steps out from the other side, she is now Marie Antoinette, Dauphine of France. What a transformation. On the 14th of May at three o'clock, Marie and Louis meet for the first time in a forest near Compiègne. In a forest? In a forest. In a forest. Yes. As she stepped out of the carriage and onto the ceremonial carpet, she said to the Duke de Cassel, who was instrumental in the negotiations of the marriage, I shall never forget that you are responsible for my happiness, to which he replied, and that of France. And the king and the family leave their carriage, and she flings herself to her knees upon meeting Papa Wa, and he is apparently very moved by this gesture. Who's Papa, Moi? Papa Wa? Papa is what she calls. King Louis the Fifteenth.
0: Oh, so that's her father-in-law, right?
1: Grandfather. Oh, grandfather. Okay. So Louis the Louis the Fifteenth is Louis's grandfather. It's not his father because he died. Remember? Of course. Gosh,
0: this is so like I'm. Not, <laughs> I'm not up to date with my French kings. It all doesn't help that they're all called Louis as well. So I'm wow. trying to like say King Louis. And then hang on, just for me, Rach, please. Yeah, Louis the Sixteenth. Is the one that's married Marie Antoinette? Yes, Louis yeah. the fifteenth is his dad, but he's passed away. No, Louis the
1: fifteenth is his grandfather, so okay. his dad never becomes king. Oh, that so makes complete sense to dad, me. dad, his dad is the Dauphin, but he dies, and so Louis becomes the Dauphin. So why didn't the father ever become king? Because the king was still alive. Yes.
0: yeah, Got it. Okay. <laughs> ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yay. <laughs> Robert, I'm sorry if you were getting this and you were like rolling your eyes like, Shell, come on.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what did Louis think of Marie Antoinette when he first met her? All he wrote in his hunting journal was meeting with Madame La Dauphine. That was it. We get nothing from him
0: whatsoever. Oh, Rach, I've got a question for you. How old is
1: Louis when he meets Marie Antoinette? Like, what's his age? He's 15 and she's 14. Okay. So at the age of 14, she is now the highest ranking female at court. (gasps) Because there's no queen, because Wa, his wife, the queen, passed away. He never remarried. So thematically, as the Dauphine of France, she becomes the highest ranking female at court. That night at a dinner, she meets Madame de Barry for the first time, the king's mistress. Marie asks the Comte de Noël, who later she would call Madame Etiquette, who she was. And she said, the lady is here to give pleasure to the king, which Marie replies, oh, then I shall be her rival because I too wish to give pleasure to the king. (laughs) Not Captain you Uynda. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure she had a few more embarrassing mishaps along the way as well. Oh, lover. Madame de Barry, whose real name was Jeanne Bacou, was presented to the court in 1769. And she was actually from a low ranking position and also a prostitute which didn't help her position in the court. Not many people agreed and approved of the King's decision to make her his official mistress. Marie Antoinette joined the rest of the court in her disapproval and made no attempt to hide the fact. The King sent her a message via Count Mercy demanding that she speak a few pleasant words to Madame de Barry in public. Pressured as well by her mother through letters, she finally complied and on January 1st, 1772, she addressed her with the words, there are lot of people at Versailles Day. And those were the last words that she ever spoke to her. After the king's death, she was banished from Versailles. And during the revolution, she was guillotined. And that was the end of Madame de Barry. When she reaches Versailles, King Louis presents her with a cofer of jewels reserved for the Dauphine of France. Covered in crimson velvet, the large cabinet can still be seen in her room at Versailles today. So if you've ever been to Versailles, there's this big chest next to the bed. And this is where these jewels were kept. Lined with blue silk, the jewels consisted of necklaces and earrings, bands and stuff boxes, bracelets with her initials, Buttons, a fan encrusted in diamonds. And this at the time was valued at 2 million livres. So oh, imagine wow. what that would be worth today. Absolutely priceless. Do you know when you go to Fasai then, Rach, and
0: you see this case, is any of that jewelry still on show? Do we no. know where that jewelry is anymore?
1: No. So some of the jewellery was sent during the revolution to Austria for safekeeping and then given to her daughter. And then later over the years, it's been sold off. Oh, wow. Yeah. But only recently, last year, two of her bracelets went on sale at Sotheby's and they fetched over half a million pounds whoa they're pearl bracelets well what a provenance so although she's technically married to louis they still have to have a wedding ceremony right i was about
0: to say this like, they haven't officially been in the same room and actually got married they've just
1: had the proxy marriage so when is that happening so her wedding dress is made from silver cloth and covered in diamonds now unfortunately this dress is nowhere to be found these days mm. So it's more than likely that the jewels were picked off and then sold at a later date or used in other pieces. We don't know, but it doesn't actually exist anymore. But from accounts of people that were there, the dressmakers miscalculated the measurements and they cut the bodice too small where one observer said that you could see a broad strip of lace and a shift visible at the back. That is just a
0: big no-no, isn't it? Which
1: is a big no-no.
0: These days you have bridezilla's. I wonder if she had a (laughs) bridezilla moment at that point.
1: Well, no, because she doesn't have a say in her wedding dress. She doesn't get a say in the design. She's just given this dress to put on. She's basically a doll, Could you imagine it being like a toilet roll holder thing? If you've ever looked at dresses from that time period, the hoop skirts are gigantic, to the point where when ladies moved through the doors, they have to move sideways fit the panniers through that yeah. must have been such a spectacle such a spectacle as the royal family made its way to the chapel which you can see at Versailles over 6,000 people had gathered in the hall of mirrors to watch them pass wow 6,000
0: so the hall of mirrors Rach I'm uh, that's in Versailles like in the actual palace yes that's in the palace And yeah 6,000 people in
1: there yes if you've ever been you'll know how big it is I've never been in royal community, so this is just blowing my mind. You would be amazed. Louis wore an opulent gold wedding suit, reportedly worth, at the time, 64,000 livres. At the wedding mass, he is described as being cold, sulky, and he trembled when he placed the ring on her finger.
0: We probably had social anxiety, like everyone's staring at me.
1: Well, don't forget they only met the day before. In a forest. In a forest. <laughs> the Duchess of Northumberland noted he trembled excessively during the service and blushed up to his eyes when he gave her the ring.
0: Oh, that's actually sweet though, isn't
1: it? He's nervous. He's marrying someone he doesn't even know. It's really hard to comprehend in this day and age, but yeah. can you imagine being a 14 and a 15 year old? You've never even met before. and This is in front of all these people, especially for her. She doesn't know anyone. This is like the first ever married at first sight, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So the marriage contract is signed, and if you've ever seen this, her signature slopes down, and there are blots of ink. This was obviously because she was not used to writing Antoinette. She's used Mm. to writing Antoine. And also, was this maybe showing nerves?
0: Yeah, possibly. We've seen a royal having a fountain pen issue, haven't we? (laughs) So it's nothing new to us. It still
1: happens this day and age. It still (laughs) happens. Her mother, Maria Theresa, wrote a letter, and she opened it once she was at Versailles, And in it, she said, the wife must be completely submissive to her husband and must have no business other than to please him and to obey him. The only true happiness in this world is a happy marriage. I can say so freely. All depends on the wife, on her being willing, sweet and amusing. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? Like you're basically offering your 14 year old daughter up. (laughs) It's just incomprehensible. I know. The celebrations continue for nine days with gambling in the Hall of Mirrors, dancing in the ballroom, banqueting, opera and a ballet. On the final evening, a fireworks display, which had been postponed due to heavy rain, took place where over 200,000 people gathered in the gardens at Versailles. The wedding cost a reported 2 million leave at the time. Can you imagine what that would be today? That tops winning Catherine's wedding. Yeah, I know. I'm a bit gobsmacked. Oh, shell! but that's not all. Okay. You think you've heard it all. <laughs> but then comes the official bedding ceremony.
0: Oh, lovely. Oh, now this going to be some kind of archaic sex display, isn't it?
1: <laughs> the Archbishop of Rheims blesses the bed. The King gives Louis his nightgown. And the Duchess de Chartres gives Marie Antoinette her nightgown. The crowd of people permitted into the room bow and curtsy. The curtains are pulled back and they are left. So,
0: for a second, there's people in the room. How many people are permitted to be in the room?
1: There's at least 50 people in this room. These are all high-ranking people of the court.
0: But that is your responsibility. That's part of your job.
1: Obviously, royal
0: community, I know we're 21st century perspectives. But it's just so alien to me and my culture that that was a thing. But also, they need to see the marriage being consummated, don't they?
1: Yeah. Once the curtains are pulled back, nobody is actually in the room with them. Everybody leaves. But it's just a symbol of what's to come. Because I was going to say, you could totally just go, let's just make a few noises and move
0: around a little bit. Let's make it out like we're doing something.
1: Well, nothing happens. And nothing happens for seven years
0: what? not even like a kiss They're like, well, what's the degrees that we're looking at here how many faces are we going to we'll get into it
1: in a bit but seven years until the marriage is officially consummated As Marie Antoinette adjusted to life at Versailles, she would learn that she had very little private life compared to her upbringing. Court etiquette is dictated to her everyday routine. In the morning, she would be woken up for the Libra, which is the morning dressing ceremony, and the Kushra, which is the going to bed ceremony. Rights of entry were given to high ranking ladies of the court, and it was seen as a privilege to be a part of. She could not reach for items herself. This would go to the highest ranked lady in the room. So if a princess of the blood by marriage walked in, the task would be taken over by her. If a princess of the royal family, one of the princesses married to Louis's brothers, walked in, it would then go to her. This would mean stopping and starting constantly, to which at one point she says, This is maddening. This is ridiculous. Can you imagine just standing there? You've got all these women around you. And again, the Sofia Coppola film really highlights this. Mm. The curtains would be drawn from her bed and she would get up. And everyone basically do everything for her.
0: When she's in Austria, I know you said that those kind of practices didn't happen, but did she have maids in Austria? Is this something that is completely new to her?
1: Yeah, she would have had maids. She would have had ladies and waiting, but nothing to this extent.
0: I mean, you can't even
1: have a lie-in. It's ridiculous. No, you can't have a lie-in. In her own account of her daily routine, she wrote to her mother that she would wake between nine and 10 and she would dress informally and say her morning prayers. She would eat breakfast and after that she would visit the royal aunts. So the royal aunts are Papa Wa's daughters who are known as mesdames, they're unmarried aunts of Louis. At 11, I have my hair done. At noon, all of the world can enter. I put on my rouge and wash my hands in front of the whole world. Then the gentlemen leave and the ladies remain and I'm dressed in front of them. This was followed by mass with the king if he happens to be at Versailles. Otherwise, with the dauphin, with Louie. after mass, the two of them dine together as she would put in front of the whole world. So again, this is all in front of everybody to see. So they're eating, and people just come around, and watch them eat. They don't speak to them because you can't be spoken to unless the dauphin or the dauphin speaks to you first. So they basically just stand in front of them and watch them eat, watch them drink. It's just really
0: bizarre. Okay, so I just need to wrap my head around this because I'm baffled. So. She wakes up in the morning, she has people that dress her. That is a routine that happens every single day. But it sounds like she's in a zoo, Rach, where like she's on display. So when she's eating, is it anyone from the street can just come into facade? Or would we be need to be a bit more high-ranking in society in
1: order to go in? And why would they want to do that? You would need to be higher-ranked. But you could still go to Versailles As long as you were basically nicely dressed Yeah,
0: it's a bit like the Ritz Like don't come in if you've <laughs> yeah. parents Don't wear the trainers Exactly, exactly What would that mean? You go there, you watch them eat a boiled egg or whatever I don't know whether they're eating boiled eggs or all communities. I'm just saying it But you walk through, they're eating their breakfast And you just walk out Can you just stop and look at them for like an hour And then move you away? You wouldn't look
1: at them for an hour Basically, they would stand in front of Louis and Marie And it would be like an acknowledgement igno- acknowledgement and then they would bow or curtsy and then they would just walk off. Do they have to do this daily? This is daily. This is every single day. So basically then that's their
0: chance to converse with other people whomever is in the room and if obviously if they talk to you they talk to you if they don't they don't but Marie Antoinette has no say as to whether this is happening or not this is just what she has to do this is the job yeah
1: this is just her role
0: this is her role as Dauphine it's like her going on engagements but instead of her going
1: to the people the people come to her yeah she doesn't particularly like to eat in front of people so she would maybe have a bit of broth what's really funny about the Marie Antoinette's Sophia Coppola movie is it's depicted very well. The of Noël, who Marie Antoinette calls Madame Etiquette, because she teaches her basically everything about life at court. So if Marie picking up a glass just off the side of the table, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't okay. do that. So if she wants to sip a sip of drink, she has to indicate that she wants a sip. Then a servant comes with the glass on a tray and then places it on the tray comes over to Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette takes a sip, but instead of just putting it down next to her so she can just take from it, she has to put it back on the tray and then the servant moves away from her. So any time that she wants a drink, this has to be done. The more I'm hearing about it, the more I, I'm learning about the etiquette. It
0: sounds like they have to put that show on to show that they are the top of society. Mm-hmm. Because look at me, I'm privileged or aristocratic in a sense. I don't have to even pick my own glass up. But actually, sometimes you just, practicality-wise, want to pick the glass up and have a drink.
1: Yeah, exactly. But you can't do
0: that. Rachel would drive me just absolutely like, what is going on with my life? What have I done? And you know,
1: when I described Louis as being cold and sulky, he's like this for a while.
0: Mm. He he sounds a bit depressed, Rachel, Was he depressed, love him? He seems a bit down.
1: These days, there are historians that debate that maybe he had autism. Okay, but can you imagine being that highly ranked? You're, you're the Dauphin of France. You have all these expectations on you. Louis was never meant to be king. He had a father and he actually had an older brother as well. They both passed away. So Aww. then that left Louis.
0: And Rach, I'm guessing that Louis has always grown
1: up in this environment. So yeah, he's always, he was born up Versailles, so He doesn't know any different. Yeah. He's used to this, but obviously this is a different world to her. This is a different lifestyle than what she's used to. Did he help her or were they very separate? No, they were very separate. Over the years, he became warmer towards her. It becomes public knowledge that they're not having sex. And her mother advises her to submit to her husband and produce children as soon as possible. But Louis just remains uninterested. And obviously the whole point of the union is to produce an heir that would then go on to rule France. Yeah, So possible explanations as to why the marriage wasn't consummated is that Louis had a condition called phimosis that he would find having sex painful. And historians have debated over time if he had a circumcision, which many have disputed because he used to keep a daily hunting record. And in this journal, the day that this procedure apparently took place, he was hunting the next day. Mm -hmm. And doctors have said there was no way he would have been able to have this procedure and then go out hunting. Yeah. But also one of another possible reason is he feared of being manipulated by her as he was taught not to trust Austrians because of the Seven Years' War. He behaved coldly towards her in public, especially at the beginning of the marriage
0: that's a lot of not only emotional stress that's psychological that's physical there's a lot going on there isn't it there's
1: so much going on so she tries to form some sort of relationship a friendship with him if they're not having a sexual relationship maybe they can just have a friendly relationship and over time that will develop he loves to hunt so she takes it upon herself to join the hunt but is criticized for joining because it's not seen as a pursuit that ladies partake in she's criticized for handing out cold meats at a hunting party that Louie attends, but she's trying to be with him. Her mother's basically telling her, Come on, you've got to get on with this. It, and it's like, where's Louie's fault in this? Where's the blame on Louis? Exactly. It's like she has to keep reaching out the olive branch, but there's no olive branch coming from him, is there? Yeah. So their sex life becomes a political act rather than an intimate one. So the pressure that was put on these two children, don't forget they're children, aren't they? Mm. They're 14 and 15. That's an enormous amount of pressure. As I said, the marriage is not consummated for seven years. And in March 1773, she writes to her mother, The king told my physician that he thought Monsieur Le Dufin and I were awkward and ignorant. He conversed very seriously about what ought to be done. Finally, he ordered him to instruct us both. Le Dufin came to my study so his attendants wouldn't know. He spoke about shyness and much sense. Le Soon is very pleased and hopes for the best. So what you've also got to think of is this is 18th century France. A married couple do not sleep together in the same bed, particularly a high-ranking married couple. So if Louis leaving his bedroom to go to Marie Antoinette's bedroom, you know, the whole court knows what's going on. And this just must have been so embarrassing for teenagers. Like, I just can't even imagine what it would have been like. The whole environment seems so alien to me. I, I'm
0: finding it really hard to just even imagine that type of life for them, not only what is going on internally, but just the external world is so stifling. Wow, this is such a hard situation for them both.
1: Yeah. So Louis's brother, the Comte d'Artois, marries Maria Theresa of Savoy. Marie Antoinette tells Louis she would be humiliated before the court and the public if the new Comtesse d'Artois became pregnant before she did. And in a conversation they're overheard, he says to her, but do you love me? And she answered, yes, you cannot doubt it. I love you sincerely and respect you even more. And he then promised to resume his regime after he came back from a trip. And the young prince seemed seemed very moved by these words. He caressed Madame la Dauphine most tenderly. And this is a letter from Mercy, who was the Austrian ambassador to France, to Maria Theresa. These letters are going back and forth because this is the progress that they need. They need to know what's going on. Like the sex life is such an important topic.
0: Well, every facet of society is in their relationship, really, isn't it? Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got a view. But also, it sounds really dramatic, but it's not because that's their reality. But the future of
1: France depends on their consummation. Exactly. But then in 1775, her sister-in-law gives birth to a son who is now in the line of secession as Marie and Louis are yet to provide an heir. Yeah. Marie was present at the birth, which was a custom at the time. This is heartbreaking because as she's going back to her rooms, there are people in the corridors saying to her, When will you give us an egg? when will you give us an heir to oh, the throne? No. Literally saying to her as she's walking past. Oh, no. One of her ladies in waiting, Madame Campan, who we know a lot about Marie and Louis' relationship, um, said that when she got back to her private apartment, she broke down and wept. It's just absolutely heartbreaking. She's just getting it from all walks of life. She's getting it from her mother constantly. She's getting it from the king. She's getting it from the everyday person that just feels like they can say anything to her in the corridor. It's interesting though,
0: isn't it, Rach? Because on one hand, you can't... Can't talk to them unless they talk to you. And on the other hand, I think then people started to get so frustrated by the situation that it bubbled out of them.
1: Yeah. So the issue with the sex life, which is more of a detriment to Marie Antoinette, is that Louis never takes a mistress. If anything's happened, if there are any wrongdoings within the country, you would just automatically blame the mistress and you mm. wouldn't be able to blame the queen. But ultimately, all of the burdens land on Marie because yeah. Louis doesn't do that. So on the 10th of May, 1774, King Louis XV dies of smallpox. He had reigned for 59 years, becoming king just aged five. Madame Campon, the lady-in-waiting to Marie Antoinette, said in her memoir, a terrible noise exactly like thunder was heard in the corridors and it was the courtiers coming to pay homage to the new king. Louis and Marie fell on their knees and prayed together with Louis saying, dear God, guide us and protect us. We are too young to reign.
0: How old were they when they become king and queen?
1: He was 20 and she was 19. And At this point, I'm just trying to think now, I don't think they would have consummated their marriage because it was seven years after. Yeah, the marriage is still not consummated at this point. So as the years go by, there's still no sign of a baby. Anytime soon, she becomes a frequent visitor of the opera and theatre in Paris. She gambles and racks up huge debts, which Louis has to pay off. She spends large amounts on clothes and meets Rose Bertin, who becomes the Minister of Fashion. By the end of 1776, she has spent 500,000 libra. Her dress allowance was only 150,000 libra. It sounds like, do you know when people go shopping to make themselves feel better? Yeah, she's compensating because she's bored. Like her whole point of being there is to provide an air, and she can't do that because she obviously needs Louise's involvement in that. Yeah. She bought a pair of diamond bracelets for 400,000 libra, money she didn't have, and had to borrow it off of Louis. Again, how could he complain? Because he wasn't giving her what she wanted and what she needed. That, I feel, to me, sounds like a power play
0: within their own relationship. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a bribe, but it's an acting out. Mm-hmm. And maybe also a way to have a conversation with him, to make her be noticed.
1: Yeah, Exactly. So let's talk about her wardrobe because she is quite famous and well-known for her fashion style. Everybody looked to her for the latest fashions in Paris. Her wardrobe consisted of three large rooms with closets, drawers and tables. There was a wardrobe book presented to her daily and she would crick the book with a pin to indicate her choices because they had swatches of the fabric of her dresses. When the restoration of her rooms were taking place at Versailles, they actually found pins in the floorboards, which I just think is so... So cool and the wardrobe because 1782 still survives it's one of the only pieces we have of her actual clothing because many of her pieces were sold off or destroyed during the revolution
0: yeah and that just makes me think if that wardrobe could talk the stories it could tell
1: exactly yeah in 1775 louis gives her petite chain on a country retreat on the Versailles estate. It was originally built for Louis the XV's mistress, Madame de Pompadour. She came before Madame de Barry, but mm. she died before it was completed. And so Louis knew how unhappy Marie was. Daily eyes were on her at court. And so this would be her place to escape where she could go and be herself. She could just be with her mm. friends. I think she needed that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And if you've ever been to Versailles you've been to Petit Trainon, it's not Petit. Let me tell you that. <laughs> The gardens are huge. And she was heavily influenced by English gardens. And when you go there, you see that today. She had lakes inputted. She had hills inputted just to look like an English garden. I
0: think she would try and have a bit more of the Austrian feel if it's her own
1: thing, you know. So that's interesting. But it wasn't just Marie Antoinette who was extravagant. The whole entire royal family were. So the Comte d'Artois, who's Louis's brother, racks up 21 million Libra in debt Which Louis pays off Sounds like King George IV Don't it? <laughs> <laughs> and his other brother The Comte de Provence Racks up 10 million Libra in debt Again wow. Louis pays Everything off So where's Louis's Money coming from Then Rach? What we would call The Privy purse. Wow That's his private money she also meets Leonard, who is a in-demand hairdresser who comes every Sunday and creates these elaborate hairstyles. And this is where we get that picture of Marie Antoinette. If you've ever seen a painting with a ship in her hair, for example, mm. and she would have all these elaborate hairstyles to the point where the ladies at the court and in Paris would want to emulate her. These hairstyles are so huge the ladies had to stick their heads out of the carriages like dogs because <laughs> they no couldn't. Way. No way. Because they (laughs) couldn't fit in the carriage. It's just, it's just insane. Around this time, what are known as labels and pamphlets starts to circulate as the marriage is still left unconsummated. They mock, can the king do it? Can't the king do it? And also, it would show pornographic images of Marie Antoinette with one of her friends, the Princess de Lambeau, who who they accuse her of having a lesbian affair with, and also with her brother, the Comte d'Artois. If you Google Marie Antoinette cartoons, you'd be amazed at what these images look like. Yeah, especially at that time. It's interesting though,
0: isn't it, Rachel? They would create that lesbian story about Marie Antoinette, but not a gay story about The king? About the king. It's
1: never the man's fault, is it? (laughs)
0: Oh, gosh. It's what a pressure. So, Rach, we know that it's seven years until they consummate the marriage. But what are the threats? What would happen if they didn't do it? What was the repercussions
1: of that? Well, she could have been sent back to Austria because she wasn't seen to fulfil her role. She's considered pretty and she's considered to be flirtatious and have a really nice personality. Louis just not interested. In 1777, her brother, the Holy Roman Emperor Joseph II, was sent on an informal visit to solve the problem. To avoid protocols and remain anonymous, he travelled incognito under the name of Count Falkenstein. Sounds like Dracula. (laughs) And stayed in a hotel in town, not at court. Marie was delighted to see her brother, who she had not seen for seven years. In a letter to their brother, Leopold, Joseph writes, describing the basic lack of understanding shown by Marie and Louis on what actually needed to happen to produce a baby. And this is a quote from this letter. Imagine in his marriage bed. This is the secret. He has strong, perfectly satisfactory erections. He introduces the member, stays there without moving for about two minutes with jaws without ejaculating, but still erect, and bids good night. It's incredible because he sometimes has night emissions. It is only when he is going at it that it never happens. Oh, if only I could have been there, I could have seen it. The King of France would have been whipped so that he could have ejaculated out of sheer rage like a donkey. <laughs> oh so gosh. basically, Louis needs a pep talk. Yeah. He needs a pep talk, and Joseph is the one to give it to him. It's hard to comprehend that Louis knows nothing about sex, considering how many lovers that his grandfather had, how many lovers Louis XIV had. It, it's just incomprehensible, but mm. apparently they didn't know what they were doing and they're described as blumbering idiots. It's
0: like nobody had the birds and bees talk with yeah. Louis, love him.
1: But then in 1778, out of years of heartbreak, she finally becomes pregnant. Yay! Roll community, everyone. After three, yay! <laughs> she goes into labour in the morning of the nineteenth of December, seventeen seventy-eight. But the room is packed with people. Witnesses of the birth is common practice in the eighteenth century. So, if the baby was a girl, it wasn't swapped out for a boy. Mm. And if the baby was stillborn, it wouldn't be swapped for a, an alive baby. Yeah. After she had given birth, Marie fainted and she's bled in the foot. The shutters that have been kept up, it's cold because it's winter, it's in December. All the shutters are torn from the windows to give her air. And then she finally comes around. The baby's placed in her arms and the baby is a girl, Marie-Therese Charlotte, later known as Madame Royale. And she says, poor little girl, you are not what was desired, but you are no less dear to me. As some would have been property of the state, but you shall be mine. Oh, I know right And
0: I just I'm thinking about When she found out She was pregnant There must have just been The biggest relief
1: For her But then you've got to wait Because If it's not a son You're still not doing the job right Yeah
0: (laughs) You can't do right to do
1: wrong in this for psych court, right? And that's exactly what happens after she gives birth to Marie-Therese, who is named after her mother, maria Theresa. Not long after, her mother's already on her case again, basically saying, come on, get back on it. Where's the son? Where's the boy? Where's the air? In between this time, she suffers from two miscarriages. Mm. Um, But then on the 22nd of October, 1781, after years of waiting, she gives birth to the long-awaited boy, she thought it was another girl due to the silence of everyone in the room. And Louis actually broke the news himself to her and he said, Madame, you have fulfilled our wishes and those of France. You are the mother of a dauphin. <gasps> I bet she was relieved, like, oh. Yeah. And he was named Louis Joseph Xavier. Well, they weren't going to call him Frank, were they? <laughs> they weren't going to call him Frank. And two more children were to follow. Louis Charles, the Duke of Normandy, was born on the 27th of March, 1785. And Sophie Helene Beatrice was born on the 9th of July, 1786. So I think we should leave part one there. They're happy. They have four children because from here on out, it goes downhill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was a spoiler alert, Royal Community. Yeah, I think let's keep them happy. Let's keep them where they're at. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to part one of our Marie Antoinette series part of our summer series coming up over the next four weeks make sure you come back next week where we'll have part two talking about the fall of Marie Antoinette if you would love to support the podcast you can over on Kofi. go over and buy us a cup of coffee all the money raised over there helps us keep the podcast on the air we also have the VIP royal community over there which you can join for extra content and we
1: have a YouTube channel keeping up with the Windsors don't forget to follow us on Instagram keeping up with the Windsors pods and we would love it if you would review the podcast leave us a five star review wherever you get your podcast whether that be on apple or spotify thank you so much for listening we will see you next week on keeping up with the
0: Windsors.